calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hello and welcome to the IGN UK podcast. I am Alex and this week I'm joined by uh, Alicia. <laughs> I mean, you're pointing at Joe! I know! You this is like oh, when you wait, look at a wait. thing that says green and it's in red. Ah, uh, see, I was waiting for some sort of, I don't know, punchline. Just say hello. Just, okay, hello! And hi. also, I was going to call you Joe Powers then. Which? Please do. <laughs> after last week, well, exactly. after our love bite you, tests, you we took it pair. to the next level. Me, me and Rory, <laughs> after biting each other in uh, fits of passion, have decided to tie the knot So I've taken his name. I, I listened to last week's podcast. Mm. I tried to fathom out whether you were talking about whether to buy a PS Pro or not. Didn't really get much information Didn't on that. Didn't happen. Although I did get... I, I wrote it off. I, it sounded like I was back in the playground at school. <laughs> was there a lot of chat about love bites in your playground? <laughs> well, th- I think that's the last time... I've ever heard anybody talking about love bites from back at school. Really? Yes. Oh. It's not. I didn't. What think about it was... at uni? I feel like it was a thing at uni. So I never went to university. No, I didn't no. know that. University of life. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't talk about uh, uh, love bites there. No. Ah. Ever heard of a streets of technic? That's where I went. <laughs> but it's. The, I know we're talking about love bites for the second week running. Yeah. But I haven't had. Uh, the I've got an itchy neck now. <laughs> you make me feel weird. <laughs> you haven't got your collar up. Yeah, could do. Vampire it. Coming in like polo necks. It's not a thing that consenting adults do, is it? I consented, and I'm just about an adult. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, maybe. Depends how. It depends. This is very much like a a philosophical discussion of whether I'm a child or not. I don't know. Is it better if I'm a child? Sounds worse. (laughs) That's that's weird. (laughs) Sounds much worse. You're talking about it on the playground. I don't know what was going on at your school. Well, on the streets. But when you're like 15, 16, love bites are fairly standard, right? I don't know. I wasn't getting love bites when, when I was... When you're in your mid-20s... I'm making up for it. <laughs> right, okay. So where do you stand on love bites? Where do I stand on love bites? Yes. Uh, my absolute opinion on well, them... Well, you don't do them by standing on them, for a start. <laughs> <laughs> standing on... Next going to come in with a that's, boot print across that's my neck. I've been doing it wrong. <laughs> standing on my wife's throat. I love you, darling. Oh my God. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Not sure how I can oh, top that, that image, <laughs> So, love bites. Love bites. I have had them. 
and they really hurt. Really? <laughs> yes. No, if you know, oh, okay, maybe this is, oh, now this is going into my past relationship, which takes us down with, with basically. A, he was a snake, it got pretty <laughs> crazy. No, he wasn't Henry a the snake. Hoover. <laughs> he was a limpet. Oh my God. <laughs> For a small time, I, did, I had a polygamous relationship with an entire Henry boat's worth of barnacles. <laughs> <laughs> and I wore the story on my skin. No, it was... Oh, my God. He basically had this thing where we do, like, bets with each other all the time. And sometimes the forfeit, it had to be something publicly humiliating. Oh, my God. And so he always had his forfeit for me was, like, love bites on my neck. And he would, like, go hard. And there'd be, like thick purple like bruises on my neck Jesus would be like Christ that's not a love bite yeah yeah that's so that was thing. that was uh, my relationship oh my some weird <laughs> and you're like, not still together no right. some <laughs> strange like kinky horror <laughs> <laughs> what's going on there it wasn't kinky in the slightest it sounds it like it was for him <laughs> did you um, ever give back Oh, I mean, I gave as good as I got, but I didn't quite have the suction power. <laughs> I accidentally ripped his jugular out. That's why we're not together anymore. Oh, this got stuck. This gonna, is weird. Yeah. What's How going are you going to segue this, Alex? Uh, Dishonored 2, right? Um, <laughs> you stab people in the neck a lot. You do. It's the love That's bite good. from the There's outsider. There's quite a lot of bruising in, after fights There's, in Dishonored. Oh, yeah, I choke loads of people out in that game. They've got bruised necks all over. What about the guy whose uh, head you put in a telescope? I did put a guy's head in a telescope. That went bananas on Facebook. You credit. Thanks, man. Because I know that <laughs> you feel sad game. that you haven't got the credit Three, you feel like you deserve. Oh, it's like a million views, I think. Yeah. I don't know. You don't want money. You just want followers. I just want followers. Yeah. What's Follow your Twitter me. handle? Like Jesus. I'm not telling anyone. They have to find me. <laughs> Otherwise, it doesn't mean anything. Uh, yeah, Dishonored 2 is brilliant. And not just when you get a glitch where a man's head turns into a telescope. Yeah. <laughs> that was good. So have you, you said... Have you played it yet? No, I played Dishonored 1. Um, I haven't had time to play 2 because I'm still finishing Battlefield. Mm. Um, but uh, I really enjoyed it, um, mm. but I never got to the end. I think the world was interesting, the game was interesting, but it never really grabbed me. That's exactly how I felt about it as well. Right. Mm. And Dishonored but 2 everyone is... everyone is going nuts for Dishonored 2. Dishonored 2 is a proper step up because in my opinion it just goes deeper it takes all of the kind of bare bones of the first game mm. and fleshes it out with the level of detail that you find in terms of the level design yeah. what I really love about Dishonored 2 is every single level you go through they've implemented a really unique gameplay mechanic whether it's the idea of the Clockwork Mansion greatest level I've ever played incredible Genuinely. game design like absolutely stunning where you, you go through this mansion and the whole like a Rubik's Cube it reconfigures around you so you can pull levers and suddenly one minute you're in a ballroom style room and the next you're in a bedroom and it's the, the everything has like shifted around mm. you and you can dive through the cracks as a wall's moving and that's what i love about it it's the right. fact that you could build if if you were a maniac you could build like a working version of that house yeah. like it is an actual model there's no there's none of that gameplay trickery where yeah. it's things just disappear into white boxed voids like yeah. that's not happening this is an actual space they've made yeah. where you can get behind the scenes mm -hmm. and then the, like you say every little bit of detail adds to it there's this sense of when you're walking around the the mansion as it should be the guy you're trying to get to and eliminate Kieran Jindosh which is a great name <laughs> Kieran Jindosh and his clockwork mansion um, he he talks to you he's like I know where you are and he tells you about all the rooms you're in he's like I like to sit there and read and think of my next murder or whatever yeah. Yeah. as soon as you get outside he can't tell where you are anymore so he starts trying to flush you out by like taunting you and being right. a bit rude and then eventually he just gets frustrated and he's just like come on get out I want to find you yeah. and right. like 
you have this real sense of like trespassing and seeing behind where you shouldn't mm. like this whole like going behind the scenes in a play like you shouldn't be there yeah and everything's yeah. crap behind there right um but it's e- just even, fantastic even that level like we're just focusing on clockwork mansion because it's such an interesting piece of level design and also but, it's already out there so we're not ruining it for anyone exactly and it was the the two-hour gameplay preview that we had i you know i played clockwork mansion twice with both characters for that one and I never discovered the outside. What? I just thought that the inside of the mansion was a thing. And then I looked over and another journalist was like suddenly hanging off a pipe somewhere. I was like, how on earth did you get that? Mm. And like, is it true that like, they had to like scale basically the outside half fall down a cliff and then go along like some outdoor piping and You can and stuff? do it that way. I mean, like the, the easiest way I did it was like found a lever, pulled it and as the world configured, ah. did a dash and like flew between the cracks right. as, it, as it changed. So it all so exists. It's like, all there. But that's right. what like, I'm... That, that is clever. That, that's it's amazing. It's, yeah. it's interesting in that, you know, the way that you discovered that outside was basically by, you know, not taking it as a linear thing, mm. by really exploring and pushing at the end, edges of the level, yeah. which was interesting. And this is, like, this is my whole reason for loving Dishonored 2 as much as mm. I do. Like, I've, I've played four of nine levels. I've spent 14 hours playing that game. It's is that because you're really bad at it? I'm, firstly, I'm bad at it. <laughs> right, okay. Secondly, I can't I just have to see everything yeah. I've just explored every nook and cranny that I can I'm rinsing the whole world of every collectible right. I can find mm-hmm. because it's just fun being there yeah, and yeah. seeing these little it's it's almost like creating even boring places with not much to do have been done up like little tableaus you can see like this is one bit totally useless room I think there was like some coins in it and I walked in and it was the aftermath of a card game gone wrong yeah and it's totally out of the way and it's just this beautiful little scene of like well, beautiful there's all just all these murdered bodies around and you can see you can pick together this crime scene basically yeah. just through them leaving stuff around and going well this room we're not really going to use it but someone's going to have to pass through it at some point right let's do something with it mm. and this is the whole game they just tell these tiny little they give you these clues towards things and then sometimes they lead to something so the best bit my favourite thing about it is how it gives you the tools to experiment, but never tells you what to do with them. Right. You get all these powers, it gives you very little kind of idea of what they're for. Yeah. Um, And this goes for, like, loads of little details. So there was one bit where I was walking around this place, which is infested with blood flies, which are essentially big clouds of horrible things that will attack you if you walk past them. Yeah. The only way to get rid of them is to burn their nests. Right. I'd run out of... um, uh, incendiary arrows so I was like oh, fuck I can't get through and as I'm walking out I pass this like there's a sort of a bar and it's like empty bottle empty bottle empty bottle and then the last one just says uh, Auburn's rum flammable right so I was like okay so I pick that up I chuck it at the nest and it burns down I was like yeah. brilliant okay so I clear out this place and then I cross the road out of through the route I've cleared and find myself in a blood fly infested doctor's office and there's nothing flammable in there. And I'm right. like, for fuck's sake, I can't do anything here. And I look around, and then there's a bottle, and it's like chloroform bottles. I was right. like, okay. So I pick that up, and I chuck it, and all these blood flies just fall dead because yeah. they've been chloroformed. Yeah, I was yeah. like, okay. And this doctor's office is full of chloroform. Right. So I was like, so I can just use this. Yeah. So I just pick that up, walk outside, see a guard walking under a balcony, and just drop it on his head, and he falls over. And I'm like, yeah. okay, sweet. So then I use my power called uh, Domino, which links the fates mm. of people. Right. So if you yep. send one person to sleep, even if the other person's half a mile away, yeah. they fall asleep as well. Right. So I link the fates of all these guards. I just chuck one chloroform bottle at this guy and this whole area is suddenly open to me. And then that chloroform hits the edge of that gas, hits a civilian fishing in a river. Yeah. He falls into the river and all these fish come in and just bite him to pieces. Oh and then I was like... 
oh, that's how I get rid of those bodies. So I'm picking up right. these bodies and chucking <laughs> them in the river. Right, right. This is all because of one bottle of yeah, rum yeah, I found, and yeah. I understood all of these systems. All the mechanics. Of, that's like, amazing. Incredible. I, and any other game would go, here's a thing, use it for this. Yeah, yeah, and this yeah. is just like, just have yeah. fun. Just, yeah. just mess with it. So you can obviously play it the straightforward way. Yeah. But it's more hmm. fun just experiment. And at the start of the game, you can even turn down the chance to have any of the powers. You can right. play it as a straight vanilla stealth game. Right. If and you're you get a trophy hardcore, for that. And you do. Um, and it's just incredible, just mm. the amount of stuff that it gives you to go. And it judges... The, the reason I didn't like Dishonored 1 so much is because it judges you for using its powers, like yeah. particularly the violent ones. It just it kind of goes, you're a bad player. Yeah. We're going to treat you badly for this. Yeah. In this one, the only real hint of that is you get a thing that says you're playing high chaos right. and occasionally... Uh, if you're playing as Emily anyway, you've got this the clockwork heart from the first game, if you remember that. Yeah. Sometimes you squeeze it and it's your mum's voice and it tells you off. Right. And that's okay. a bit annoying. I, yeah. I often just go, fuck off, mum. Put it back yeah. in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> but apart from that, it doesn't feel like it's having a go. Right. It's just kind of going, fuck it, you are a magical mm. bastard. Do what you want. Have fun. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's so rare to find a game as, you know, hands off. Yeah. Just yeah, to be yeah. like, go on. Yeah, absolutely. Deal with us. It's incredibly well designed. I really love the level as well, where you're in a like again another mansion. It really loves mansions, but this one's ruined, and you jump between two Ooh. time periods. Do we want to give away too much about that? I know they've shown it off at E3 before. They have shown it off at E3. It's another example do. of really intriguing, without any spoilers, a really intriguing example of level design. So you have this ruined mansion that you're working your way through, and it's empty and dark and dusty, and there yeah. are you know areas that are boarded up and windows, and then you've got a kind of shattered mirror in your right hand that through that you can travel to the present day no to the past three years right. ago on the night of a really opulent party in the same mansion right. and there are people and everything's lit up with gold and you know and just flit flitting back and forth between the two time periods means you can move through the mansion and be really clever in how you find and track down your targets right. just really interesting things like that that every level has a twist it's like they're daring you to break the yeah, game yeah absolutely well. it's like giving you so much that you can just mess with yeah. and going see what you can do absolutely like each of these mechanics you could build a really interesting game around within its own right yeah. that the whole game was to do with that but they've just in nine levels kind of mm. put yeah. an interesting thing in each one which is really clever and I really love Emily's powers they they're are really cool slinky and sharp and gorgeous and you just flow through the space yeah. and shadow and kind of appear from nowhere and I think one of the really frustrating things about the first game was that stealth powers weren't that strong. Corvo can blink everywhere, but a lot of his really like interesting ones were just, you know, send a swarm of rats or possess a possess, fish. Yeah, and... or stop time. Like Exactly. They were yeah. things we'd used before. They were just better implemented. Absolutely. Whereas Emily's feel quite new. Like, yeah. I've never seen anything like Domino. No, exactly. And, and Domino's fascinating. The, and how they link up. Like, the, one of the only clues it gives you about Domino is that you can use another power, Doppelganger, where you mm. create a version, like a decoy version of yourself. But then you can link the fate of that to someone else. Right. So you can just stab yourself in the neck yeah. and it kills yeah. a guard who had nothing to do with you. Right. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. What a great thing. Well, that level you've just described sounds a lot like the one that's in Titanfall, Titanfall. which I don't know if you've played oh, the campaign yet. I've not played yet. the campaign yet. We will be talking about that later. Um, yeah. But, well, let's talk about it now. Okay. Um, unless there's something else that you want It's a feedback thing, but I'll just read this out. We'll uh, just skip straight to this letter. Let's skip to that. <laughs> We're doing, like, early feedback. James Isles says, Hey, guys, I've just finished the Titanfall 2 campaign and absolutely loved it. Have any of you played yet? If so, what did you think? I was really pleasantly surprised by the variety in the gameplay throughout, yep. which is exactly what I was, we were about to talk about. So there is uh, a level... Uh, again, is it spoilery? I think... 
at this point, people keep talking about it. Yeah. Um, I would say, like, well, we, don't we, give away what the fabric of it is, but no. you can talk about the idea. You, you flip, same thing. You flip between time uh, to make your way through this level. Ah. Um, I won't say any more than that. I yeah. think that's fair enough. Yeah. But it's so cleverly done. And like the rest of Titanfall, it makes you feel so powerful because you're... I'll give an example. Like, But you'll be in the present day when you're getting attacked by um, like monsters or whatever because it's been overrun. Yeah. So you flip back in time to when it was like this pristine kind of... I don't know. It's it like a that. research facility, yeah. yeah. But then the monsters aren't there, but the guards are there. So the guards are shooting at you, but then you haven't got these avatar monsters coming in. So you... But like, what you can do is go into present day, get around the back of the guards because you see their ghost briefly. Mm. Yeah. Go back in time, and then they're still looking for where you are. And, so they, and then it's got that really satisfying thing of like them all going, "Where the fuck are they?" Yeah. Just like <laughs> freaking out that this person's just appearing out of nowhere yeah. constantly. And it's it's just amazing. But obviously, the thing that's great about it is not just the combat mechanic, but there's loads of kind of platform bits built into it where you've got to jump into something where there's nothing there, yeah. but flip back. So just as you appear. It is. I, th yeah. I think a lot of what people were really lauding Titanfall 2, Titanfall 2's campaign when it came out, all yeah. the stuff that made me really want to try it, yeah. I think it all comes from that level. Absolutely. Because yeah. people were saying like, oh, it's like Mario Galaxy. It's like Nintendo throwing ideas out there. And yeah. I was like, not quite. Yeah. It doesn't have that like freshness. And I think actually Dishonored ha is, is kind of closer to that. <coughs> but that level, yeah. when you see the stuff... The, the lengths to which they take that one idea you just it's so brilliant and it is like, only used on that level that's once. it it's gone. Yeah. got um, it for an hour and that is and it. that's it and there are some other really cool parts of it like platforming bits where they've taken the pilot's abilities to sort of wall run and yes. really build some amazing stuff but that's a little bit more prescribed I guess is that right. yes there are routes through stuff but you kind of know where you're going. Yeah. So it's like you see your route. It's linear. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there are actually, there are a lot of comparisons to be drawn between those two games as well. That's really like, interesting. Like that Titanfall 2 has a level that reminds me of the Clockwork Mansion in its cleverness with an environment. <laughs> so it's not, this, it's not the same idea by any means, but there's a level where you're in a sort of, um, it's like building prefab villages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, and so you're in a giant construction, like on a giant production line, and you have to keep jumping into this village being built around you. Like so houses, you've got walls going up and then things like being built. Turf like being planted you. down yeah. on, like onto where you are and then it like flips on its side so you're on this inverted house as it's being built around you. Yeah. Wow. And it's got this idea of just kind of going, here's, it's, it's almost like watching game design happen. It's, yeah. it's sitting in the middle of a level being built yeah. with you in it. Okay, and it's, it's not all, and it, like yeah, as you say, like it ends up like you end up sort of like running up the side of houses and that's stuff. That's amazing. Like that. That's kind of like Doctor Strange style. Is there? I've not seen Doctor Strange. Ah, it's got that. It's got the sense, sense of, of like things, are, things aren't. It, it's, it's a all, familiar situation, yeah, just the other way around, like kind yeah. of ruined. Yeah. yeah. It's really interesting that there's that level of similarities between Dishonored and Titanfall because I guess you could say in some ways you can play Dishonored like it's a first-person shooter and that mm. you can go in all guns blazing. but it, it doesn't want you to. But it doesn't want you to, yeah. whereas like Titanfall, I just think of, oh, you know, that's a straight-up shooter. Mm. Yeah. It's kind of cool that it's thinking outside it's, the box. It's the most fun I've had in a single-player shooter for as long as I can remember. Wow. It is fantastic. Yeah. Like, it's a really, really clever thing. Um, and yeah, as uh, as James says, like, the variety is key to that. Like, I think mm. this is, it feels like people are kind of coming to, and this is stupid, this is the kind of, th you know, the Victorians saying like, oh, nothing else could possibly ever be invented. But <laughs> it feels like we're getting to the peak of thinking around these kind of campaigns where it's just going, 
what people want isn't a single idea. What they want is throwaway stuff with yeah. a base. You, as long as you nail the core feeling of a game. So Doom yeah. did this as well to a yeah. certain extent. I'm not sure it was as, as successful. But the, the core feeling of, I know all my powers and I know how to link them up and I can mess with them and that's it. But yeah. then giving you a game that around you constantly shifts the rules. Mm. That's just, that's way more fun than yeah. games that go, here's one gimmick. Yeah, yeah. and you, you learn the it. pattern and then it's yeah. lather, rinse, repeats. Yeah. Yeah, like the beauty of Dishonored 2 is regardless of what character you play it with, because they're both very different in the way they handle, but it's taking their skill set and learning how to link them and move them and using the powers in different combinations depending on what the levels yeah. throw at you. Mm. And that's really interesting to make your gameplay style reactive rather than prescriptive. Yep. It's a really fascinating way yep. to change player behavior. Oh, so good. I think that was uh, probably my only criticism of Titanfall is that when you're in the Titan itself and you're, there are loads of kind of mini bosses all the way through. Mm. I know, about not a dozen, but there are. I think it's got to be a six or, or seven. Is it that right? Or maybe there's a few more actually. Yeah. Um, and they were fairly easy. Yeah, I really thought. Because I, I played on regular, yeah. I just bl- I never lost to one of no, those. No, 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 um, and I don't claim to be amazing in the Titan. No, 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 no. Uh, I was much better as the pilot. It feels like um, it's almost designed for hard mode. Those bosses, yeah, maybe, like yeah. that, you've got to pro- properly have slug ma- slugging matches with them. But yeah, 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 I agree. That was that was a downer for me. Yeah. Um, I do really it does remind me of Zone of the Enders though which I love um, which has the same thing a long time since I've played that game it's the thing that I love I played the I played the remaster when it came out a few years back and the thing that I remembered that I loved is it gives you this like constant like rogues gallery of baddies who you've never met before yeah and so it just has to establish them in about 10 seconds as just an asshole so they turn up and it's like (laughs) I'm the flying bastard and they do exactly the same thing in Titanfall it's just like by the way, this guy's a prick. Have fun killing him. Yeah. And you're like, yeah! <laughs> so, so just cartoon like storytelling, which I love. I, yeah. It's really entertaining and kind of, there's no pretense to it at all. It's not pretending to be anything other than just dumb and mm. fun. Because really I, nice. I genuinely don't normally enjoy campaigns and first-person shooters. Like mm. I play them for the multiplayer, mm. but campaigns I always just find really dull. Right. So this, you're selling you will, me on the idea of You will not people. find this dull. If you do, no. then you're dead inside. <laughs> and that. you have no soul and you're like, like My only concern is, like I don't know how well, uh, well, obviously both games reviewed really well, mm. but Titanfall in terms of sales so far hasn't done... And um, in the UK, Dishonored hasn't uh, has sold something like forty percent less than Dishonored. Uh, Dishonored wow. Two really? is sold way less than Dishonored did. Again, that's remember that physical charts aren't necessarily the same as digital charts, sure. and so who knows yeah, really? But yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a it's a weird sign. Huh. Um, well, yeah. I think it's such a shame. Like, and I hope that you know studios are still able to sort of innovate and do amazing mm. stuff and be creative. Obviously, Titanfall was wedged between two of the biggest shooters. Ever, you, uh, you get the feeling in Battlefield. I don't know about Titanfall. That seems a bit shaky. And even today, we were seeing talking about that. Uh, Glixel did an interview with yeah. uh, Vince Zampella, yeah, and he sounds shaky on whether there's going to be a Titanfall three. Mm. Um, and but that's no fault of his own, no, no, or, no, or the studio's own. And you know, that's like when the, I guess when you leave something like Infinity Ward, mm. and EA comes, yep, we will fund your next project and give you everything. You're probably like, yeah, this is amazing, yeah. yeah. And then apparently the Xbox exclusive was forced on Respawn. Yeah. And then they get wedged between 
Battlefield and Call of Duty. It's For like, no reason at all. Yeah, that was here. really yeah. bad timing. You'd but, feel pretty... Yeah. Well, I would feel pretty fed up. Do you get the feeling that Arcane are slightly more important to Bethesda? Sure. Like, they feel a bit more like a vanity project. Like, yeah. Even if they don't sell that well. They make well, Dishonored, Dishonored 2, and they're making Prey. Yeah. Like, those are games that people yeah, 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 want yeah. to pretty see. Cool. Yeah. And, and it also, yeah, it feels like... like Literally, Battlefield was EA's own game as well. Oh, absolutely, what, a week yeah. between them or something? It's, oh, it's yeah. absolutely absurd. Yeah, everything just comes out. We've been finding this over the last few weeks, and we're like, ah, yeah. every day coming into work. <laughs> so many games. But that's even like, you know, Watch Dogs is out, or came out this oh, week. Oh, God, yeah. And I haven't really seen that much on that. Obviously, no. the reviews dropped, but in terms of actually seeing... Uh, some, it's on TV. I think I've mm. seen one, maybe. Yeah, there's something to be said about the pre-Christmas period. I get why they want to launch because you want your game under the stocking. But actually, if there was a little bit more spacing out in the but year. It's, but it's narrower than ever because it used to sort of bleed into September and then through to December. Yeah, and I think there is. Oh, Last Guardian's coming out in December. Mm. Yeah. But now it is so literally it's just straight up November. Yeah. Like basically, yeah, four week period. Yeah, this is the weird <laughs> thing, right? Like, this is incredibly anecdotal evidence, but like. I was uh, sort of vainly looking for the biggest stories of the year to see if I'd done any of them on our CMS the other day. Of course you were. Of course you were. Yeah, not really. Um, and uh, and you're no Alex Osborne. Absolutely not. Um, the thing the thing that I noticed was if you look at the most read reviews of our year, yeah, right up there, like maybe second or third is Doom. Right. Doom came out, what, March? Or yeah. like dead period. Yeah, yeah. Everyone gave a shit. It got so much love. Yeah. I bet it's done really well. I yeah. guarantee I, if Doom came out now, no one would care. Because exactly. Because it's sandwiched yeah. between it's other first-person shooters. It's a great game, and they knew when to pitch it. Mm. Like, why isn't Titan, why wasn't Titanfall next March yeah. when everyone yeah. exactly. got bored yeah. of yeah, those yeah, yeah. two games? Yeah, you're so right. I, I agree. And, and maybe it'll see a resurgence in the, you know, prices will come down. Yeah. But especially with a game like that that is so heavily reliant on multiplayer, if the server's dead, then... Yeah. yeah. When there's three games all trying to be your multiplayer game yeah. of choice. And all and I'm playing is <laughs> And Overwatch exists. <laughs> Don't mention that game. Not yeah. that Can't talk about it. Can't talk about <laughs> Sombra in the update. Yes. Fuck well, you, 3v3's great. <laughs> I was going to say, you've got a legit excuse this week. I know, it's no, Sombra, but it's fine. It's We'd fine. be talking about very granular things, wouldn't we? Mm. I know, I know. But the one thing is, Hacking's that game is a fantastic beast. Mm. Oh my God. Can I? <laughs> nice. Unless <laughs> you didn't give a shit. <laughs> Steamrollers. Oh, fantastic Beasts. Are we talking about Fantastic Beasts? I said uh, that game is a fantastic beast. Ah, oh, I see what you did there. Speaking of which... Segway! Oh, my God. <laughs> just one day I want to work with people that just... Oh, just, God, I, just I know, I know. But what do you mean people? Person. 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 <laughs> one day I want to work with an Alessia who gives a shit about my segways. <laughs> I do enjoy the segways. Yes, but, but by saying segway... Oh, anyway, I'm go. sorry. I'm sorry. I was drawing attention to your fantastic yeah. hosting slickness. abilities. Thank you. Really slick. You beast. Fantastic beasts. Fantastic beasts came out this week. Yes. And what it comes out, out tomorrow. It comes out tomorrow. It comes out today. Comes out, comes out today if you're listening to the podcast on Friday. And it's a spin off movie in the sense that it's not Harry Potter as we know it. It no. takes place 1920s America. And it tells the story of a guy called Newt Scamander who wrote a textbook that J.K. Rowling wrote for Comic Relief called mm. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, which they talk about in the Harry Potter series as something that Harry, Ron and Hermione have at school. Um, so this is Newt Scamander, who he's kind of a, 
collector of exotic, rare, magical creatures. And he's in America to, uh, well, for reasons. And he accidentally lets a few of them out of his case. So that's kind of like one of the plot lines. But there's actually multiple plot lines yeah, in this story. It's not as simple as that. It's that's quite messy. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like... I think it goes down the same road that Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone was very much setting the scene of the world when it first came out. And yep. so there's quite a lot of exposition and explanation and kind of, well, this is Hogwarts and blah, blah, blah. And actually, when you look at the story, not much, not much actually happens yep. aside from that final bit with the gauntlet at the end when you first meet Voldemort and he's out the back of Quirrell's head. But like, the rest of the movie is pretty chill. And like, Fantastic Beasts is a bit like that in that really actually when you kind of break it down I'm trying to remember really what happened plot wise uh, he comes to America four beasts get out of his case he meets some friends they go on a hunt for the beasts and then some other people have quite bad times yeah in a very small way yeah and then <laughs> the movie ends and then the movie ends <laughs> so it's pretty like but there's lots of stuff Sounds through like that Ghostbusters it is a bit like to be honest there is a Ghostbuster element to New York to it Right. And yeah. there's probably someone that makes that noise, like Ecto-1. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably but a like, beast. So I have seen all the Harry Potter films and mm-hmm. read all the Harry Potter books. Show off. Yeah, you have. Yeah, exactly. But I could not give two hoots about About Fantastic this. Beasts. So that's surely uh, a concern for... Is it Warner? I think. Yes. Mm. And it is tracking low. Yeah. Like, pe- mm. I don't think people give as much of a shit as people... They thought they would. Yeah. Um, I was really excited, and I kind of got what I wanted. Like, mm. like I think we've both agreed it's like a three-star movie. Yeah, absolutely. Right. We, we, we both, Joe and I, came away, and we were chatting about it And we are yesterday. both Potter fans. And we're both massive, yeah, Potter fans. And we yeah. were like, yeah, it's like a solid three out of five. It's made me go, I'm looking forward to the next one. The next yep. one's going to be set in Paris, and hopefully we're going to delve deeper into, for me, what is the crux of the movies. And this isn't a spoiler because J.K. Rowling has come out and said the five movies are going to be based around this plotline. Five like, movies? Five. Yeah, what's going to be three and now it's five? Yeah, it's going to be five of them. <laughs> You've got ten years of this, mate. <laughs> just, see, that is my fundamental problem with all this. The first movie's not even out yet. Mm. Yeah. What well, is if you're... Well, it's, but, but do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, I don't want to be invested in five movies. Like, it's too much. But that, that yeah. I think, is what she perhaps could have beefed up a little bit in this screenplay, making you really care about the characters and kind of the enough to invest in the next five. Because what it's going to revolve around is a guy called Grindelwald, who you might remember from the Harry Potter series. (laughs) You're basically like, no. (laughs) Do you remember the whole idea of the Deathly Hallows? Yeah, which book was that? The, the Deathly Hallows. <laughs> oh yeah, but I know I meant numbered. <laughs> oh, see, seven. Was it seven? Yeah, and um, the idea is that there's three oh, yes, yes, objects yes, yes, that yes, make yes, you masters yes, yes. of death. Yes. And so Grindelwald was the original dark wizard, the precursor right. to Voldemort, oh, okay. who was also best friends with Dumbledore growing up. And Dumbledore, there's the suggestion that him and Grindelwald had a relationship together. And then there's this really climactic battle in the 1940s where Dumbledore kills Grindelwald well no doesn't kill like duels with Grindelwald Grindelwald's put in a prison until the time of Harry Potter Um, but Grindelwald wanted to create this world where 
wizards came out of the shadows, made themselves known and kind right. of ruled over muggles. So that's kind of what I think we're going to see. It's the lead up to that climactic right. battle. So that sounds interesting. Versus exactly. That sounds so boring to me. Really? I don't want that at all. Oh no, I, I find that fascinating. That. I don't see how that comes from a movie called Fantastic Beasts though. Totally agree. Mm. And a franchise that will be called that. It's always, yeah. it's probably going to be like Fantastic Beasts in Paris, the next one. <laughs> I hope it's called that. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. Um, like National Lampoon's on vacation yeah. or something like that. <laughs> to me, I expected, when I first heard about this, I and at the start of the film kind of gets towards this and then just gives up on it. Mm. I expected this to be Newt Scamander uh, exploring the non-British wizarding world. Yeah. So yeah. in this one, America, in the next one, Paris. Um, and being a sort of like weird David Attenborough, Jane Goodall, having right. sort of rad, you know, like sort of silly roguish adventures around places that mm. we wanted to go and see. Because right. Harry Potter is, an ex- to me, is a really exciting place. I lo- I'm one of those fancy people who's always like, oh, how much can we kind of like think about how everything works in this world? Yeah. I love feeling feeling out the edges of some of yeah. that imagination. Yeah. That's why people love Game of Thrones, because everything mm. feels consistent. They understand yeah. how this world works. And I love the idea of seeing New York and see, and the little hints that it gives you that like American society, because of Salem and because of Puritanism and that fright, mm. is actually way more locked down and sort of yeah. scared it's of being darker. magical. Right. Whereas Britain's all kind of like yeah. free and easy because yeah. everyone's druids or whatever. And it's right. tough, because that's a strength and a weakness of the film, in that... I think it's really interesting to explore a darker side of wizarding culture. And there's like, um, there's a really interesting aside where Newt just mentions, he's like, well, in America, you've got this silly law mm. that not muggles can't marry wizards. You know, it's it's illegal. And suddenly you're like putting this idea of, I guess, racism. Yeah, and, yeah no, it's like, you know, it is a very thinly veiled apartheid. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, yeah. you know there's, there's all these dark metaphors where society is what was happening in 1920s American society is very much reflected within the wizarding world. But it makes the world, when I think of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, as a colour, it's grey and brown. Mm. Whereas the Harry Potter world, when you think of them, it's gold, it's the firelight glinting off Mm. the Hogwarts walls, it's the the sconces and this really beautiful world that you just want to be like, ah, it's so shiny and great. Like, there's not that sense of wonder in Fantastic Beasts. Yeah, but it's a shame because, you know, you've got these, they try and do it with, there's, there's this kind of segment where you're going through uh, Newt's suitcase and meeting all the beasts. And I think that's meant to be this, oh, look at this amazing world. And it's very nice and it's very cinematic, but it's not the same as that simple swish and flick when Guardian Leviosa class that you had in the first Philosopher's Stone. But even, like, uh, so I read uh, Cursed Child on holiday. Ah. And even reading that, I thought, I'd love to go and see this. Yeah. Um, mm. yeah. Like that, it took me straight back to that world in an instant, but a slightly different take on that world. It all felt like it was a continuation. I was like, this would be amazing. Mm. But like I say, I don't, I don't get that with Fantastic I d- Beasts. I definitely I think if it's... The, if it needed, I know that they've pushed it as a bit of, you know, this is an extension of Harry Potter, mm. but not that much. No. I mean, I, I genuinely think it's worth going to see. Mm. It just, if you're invested in the world and in in this, you know, if you, I read Potter more and stuff. I'm such a Harry Potter nerd. I really love yeah. like looking and delving deep into the world and finding out, you know, the histories of certain characters and and laws. And for that, for a sense of color, that's really fascinating. Yeah. Um, it's just, I think as the series goes on, J.K. Rowling is going to find a way to 
cohese it down or like slim it down and have it more about one narrative thread. Yeah, but they're going to go for the boring, it's a battle it's of good versus boring, evil. It's just going to be like, oh, we're just learning all this. We're, but all it's we're not doing good is filling in evil. blanks that we already have. But it's not have. good versus evil because Gellert Grindelwald, yeah, yeah. it's not as simple. It's, it's not a binary. He's, He's literally called a dark wizard. He is called a dark wizard. <laughs> but there's like... There's you're, a- you're losing this. <laughs> <laughs> Like, What's a in fairly, a name? It's a fairly strident moral judgment that she's made, and that's fine. No, but, but we already know this about Grindelwald later on. We know that he has good in him because we've seen that with yeah, Dumbledore, yeah, yeah. and that you know, we know that Dumbledore, one of, Dumbledore himself, who's meant to be, he's set up in the Harry Potter books as like the archetypal good wizard father mm. figure, actually turns out to be a little bit twisted. Yeah. You know, Harry has PTSD in the wake of Voldemort coming back, yeah. and. Dumbledore uses him as a puppet. Like, mm. J.K. Rowling is good at dismantling things that she thinks that we're setting up to bad guys becoming good guys and yeah. vice versa. Like, that's classic. Shame, so, shame she can't do endings, though. But she really can't Holy do endings. Holy shit, oh the God, ending of this can't. film is this bad. This ending is yeah. so bad. It is the most hilariously yeah. badly explained deus ex machina yeah. you can imagine. No, it it's really crazy. Is. Like, it's on par with Star Trek Into Darkness, which I think is one of the worst endings I can ever think of. Yeah. Um, one thing that we haven't talked about at all, which is good is um, I really like Newt and Tina, who are the kind Mm. of lead protagonists in this. Like, the way they're portrayed. Newt's, like, as we were saying before, he's very heavily implied to be on the spectrum. Yeah. Like, he's, he's a very awkward... He freely admits to, like, not being able to make friends with people. Yeah. He's just difficult and strange. And he, for half the film, you're, you don't really warm to him that much because he's just a bit rude to everyone. He's just yeah. sort of flitting around just being like, I don't really care about your problems, which I really like. And then Tina, who's this sort of disgraced aura who works in uh, the American Makusa, which is The their... Magical American Congress of the United States There America. you go. Right. Um, <laughs> she's, like... Like three quarters of the scenes is her on the verge of tears, like struggling to deal with the fact that she's got such a shit like rap. Right. And they're just not like the happy-go-lucky kids from Harry Potter. Yeah, I really yeah. enjoy watching yeah. those people try and deal with the yeah. world. Yeah. They don't yeah. feel like heroes, which is great. Like yeah. that's something so new. Like they're very much mm. yeah. the outsiders. Yeah. And like, oh, there's, there's like, so Tilly, um, on one of his last podcasts was talking about the Harry Potter franchise and he referred to it, you know, it was just like a flippant remark, but he was like, you know, it's a kid's movie. And I don't think... To be fair, he thinks that the game's for kids as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> but it's interesting that he wouldn't refer to Star Wars or something as a kid's sure. movie. Whereas I, I would very much firmly put Harry Potter in the same bracket as Star Wars, that kids can enjoy them those kind of movies but also it's very much they're for adults they're family yeah. movies they're family yeah. movies but like I mean Fantastic Beasts I think treads a little bit it dances over the line of becoming very much more adult there mm. was a scene that literally made me gasp in mm. the like it was so dark and violent and right. actually quite horrific and um yeah, I was really surprised that the, it yeah. was... The stuff that's the... not been advertised, and we've been looking through trailers today to find stuff for videos we're making, um, they really skip over half of this movie, yeah. the trailers. Like, you don't, Absolutely. You don't know... <laughs> I went in the day after the, uh, the, the election. I'm not going to say which way I'm on, but which side I'm on, but, you know, I was sad. And um, I went in it going, like, really excited that I was going to see, like, happiness and excitement yeah. and mm-hmm. wizardry and magic and escapism. Just like 
Firstly, heavily political, very yeah. much about American politics. Yeah. Yeah. Secondly, religious fundamentalism. Thirdly, abuse. And you're like, oh, oh my Racism. God. Like, wow. It has, it has like the wow. death penalty in it, like the American style. That suddenly you realize that there's like a death penalty in the American wizarding government. And it's really and unpleasant. See, really unpleasant. Right. And you see the death room and stuff. And it's like, you know, you never saw that in the Ministry of no, Magic. No, this yeah. is a really dark world. It's really strange. Well, like, that's, see, that, that's got me more interested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a shame that it's just a bit of a mess. Like, it the, feels yeah. like two, could be two movies yeah. about and the same place. David Yates, in your interview with him at the junket, mm. did address it in that he talks about there's one moment where Eddie Redmayne performs a mating ritual with a thing called an arumpan, which is basically a giant rhinoceros. And he sprays himself with musk and does this weird dance. That and the next, sucks. Which is a weird scene. I hated it. And the next scene, uh, you've got a character who's cowering in one of the most abusive fam- familial, like, scenes that you'll see in yeah. cinema yeah. and you know that's in cinema not in cinema it's not, not precious cinema. it's a bit of a it's a bit of a yeah it's a bit of a jack exaggeration in child in child family movies it's certainly kind of certainly the darkest stuff we've seen in a Harry Potter but Harry Potter yeah. that kind of flip it's so sudden you get whiplash yeah. it's like and I feel like if she'd been streamlined and David Yates really liked that about yeah. the movie he specifically said that weird that yeah well mm. yeah he's he's pointing out the criticism and <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I just thought that was interesting. But it, it's good. Like, we've, ha- we've ragged on it a lot, but I think that's because we're fans. Hopefully. Yeah, and we had high hopes. Well, it's a good stepping stone for the next four movies. Yeah, and like, I do genuinely, like, I honestly, I do think if they have each movie is in a different city, yeah. meeting new people, seeing new ways of life, that's all I really mm. care yeah. about, to be honest. Like, mm. they can be the stupid, boring Grindelwald stuff. It's um, not boring! <laughs> I'm just, you know. And um, but if it keeps doing that thing where it is that it has got that Pottermore thing where it's filling in the blanks and making that world seem more like a world. Yeah, I'm in. Like I'm still I'm fine with that. It can be as messy as it likes as long as I get to keep seeing more new interesting stuff. Yeah, that's great. I'm in. That's cool. There you go. So yeah, that's out this week. Go and see it next week. Um, we will be showing Final Fantasy to a bunch of people in London Tan in a cool uh, venue. Yeah. Uh, Hackney? Probably. Shouldn't say where it is in case a bunch of people turn up. With Good idea. Invites, right? But anyway. Um, Birmingham. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, we are creating a little part of EOS, I believe that's the world. It is. So I know nothing about Final Fantasy. 15 or in general? Any of them. Okay. <laughs> but you know a bit about them. Mm-hmm. Do you, Alicia? I've played them up to 10. I tried to play a bit of 14 and couldn't get into it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so after what, 10 what it goes a bit down to now. 11, 12, 13? <laughs> <laughs> well, 11's another MMO. Yep. Toilet. Yep. Uh, 12, toilet. 13, never played it. Wasn't there 13, 1 and 2 as well? Yeah, they do, Yeah, and there's 10, this 2 is, as well. That's part of the reason with Final Fantasy is like, this is, I can't they, even keep up what's going on. It, unfortunately, what they've done is they got to 7 and then realised they shouldn't be numbering them. Right. Right. they can't stop numbering them. They right. should all be called Final yeah. Fantasy... It should be like Final Fantasy EOS or Final Fantasy... Yes. You know, like, yeah, that yeah, should yeah. be what it is. Because there's but... nothing that really ties them together, right? No. No. Uh, like, barring characters... Uh, not characters, like creatures that appear mm. in all of them for like no real chocobos. reason. Yes. Chocobos and cactuars Riddles and, and yeah. tonbris and... Tonbury is the best monster in all of games, by the way. I just want to put Whoa, that out there. Tonbury is a little green table? goblin in a, <laughs> in a brown coat holding uh, like a lantern and just a massive knife 
and that's it. He just stabs you with it, and, you, and that's the end. Like everything else is using like spells. He's just like a little prick with a knife. Shanking. It's horrible. I love him. I don't think he's in the game. I'm really sad. But anyway, so you've yeah. played uh, a few hours of fifteen. Yeah, I think I've played about seven hours now. Is it that much already? I've done two big previews of it. Wow. Yeah. Nuts. Uh, and what are your kind of hopes and expectations? Hopes and expectations are that it continues being as excellent as I think That's it is right now. So like, I think it's a really characterful, strange game. Uh, yeah. What the, 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 again, the world is what I love about it. It's this, it's just America, but then they've dropped in like this high fantasy bollocks in strange places it is, in it. Like, I've, from the stuff that I've seen, and again, trying to make sense of it, I'm like, I yeah. have no idea what's going on. Like, for me, it looks like a, a music video for a kind of emo group of teens driving around it in a, kind a car of that, is. that breaks down. And it's just like... But like, then, like, some of the other footage I've seen of some of the different locations, I was like, wow, that game looks truly beautiful. I think it's a stunning, stunning game. Yeah. Um, and you're right, the, the music video thing is bang on. Yeah, they These are the most millennial characters... <laughs> I hate that word, but it really suits. Yeah. Like, they're constantly on their phones. They're always talking about video games they've been playing. Like, yeah. they're just, like, nerdy, stupid, naive idiots who... <laughs> and I love them. I love spending time right, with them. Okay. They're so ende- endearingly, like, dumb. And yeah. so and they feel so unaware. Like, so how, how do they end up being heroes, then? Yeah. Uh, the story is that Prince Noctis, who is the character you directly yeah. control, um, is being sent to his uh, betrothed, like, princess wife-to-be from right. another kingdom in an arranged marriage. Yeah. And on the way there, this is the end of chapter one, so I'm not giving anything away, and it's in Kingsglaive, which is the, the ludicrous crap animation they make. I shouldn't be saying this before we do the premiere, really, but it's not very good. Um, uh, he... As they go, at the end of chapter one, it turns out that there's been a coup, this uh, sort of militaristic nation yeah. that's been slowly taking over the world of Eos, um, takes over his home city and kills his dad, right. King Regis. And then it's about... It, it, so it turns from this road trip into essentially being a itinerant rebellion, right? which is quite fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it gives you the reason to be still hovering around this open world for no reason at all. Right, okay. Um, which is great. Yeah. Uh, and it helps that the world is amazing. Uh, yeah. th- so we've, we've done a few videos of this stuff. So we did like a huge tour of the world in the car, which could run out of gas, by the way, which is really annoying. Really? <laughs> yeah. What happens if it oh. runs out? You can push it or get it towed. Wow. It's kind of great. I actually quite like that stuff. Well, it, because when I like that stuff. Because when it's nighttime, it's terrifying as well. Like, it gets way more dangerous and you can't see anything. Uh, it actually really reminds me of Dragon's Dogma, which is a game everyone ignored yeah. and I think is fantastic. Mm. Um, night, you just don't want to be out at night, yeah. which is great. So you're pushing the car and, like, the sun's going down. You're like, am I going to spend my last hundred gil on getting this car towed or am I going to get to the gas station where I need to be? Yeah. Which I love. Um what the fuck was I talking about? I just like so many just things. Like time lapsing. Oh yeah, and so, yeah. Um, but this is this is what the crux of what makes that world great is. You can drive through this quite boring desert highway, listening to any track from Final Fantasy history on the radio. Like, oh, that's cool. Like you can buy CDs. Yeah, you can buy yeah. CDs with entire soundtracks from the series, which that's is great. Awesome. Yeah, you're driving along, and then suddenly the camera like pans against your will to this giant crystal meteor sticking out of the world and they're all like it's been burning for years you're like what the (laughs) hell is going on in this place and then you stop and get like chili con carne from a diner 
come out and there's like a truck full of swords that you can buy. So it's like, weird. what is this place? I right. love it. I just It's so un-Final Fantasy and yet Final Fantasy, yeah. which I think is the point. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's what if a Final Fantasy world just sprung up in the middle of like Midwest America. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of great. That's like, a really what a cool strange concept. thing to do. Rather than doing something that's so, like, ridiculously fantastical exactly. that it's like, you don't really relate to. It's yeah. Like, and this it makes, is actually based on real life. And navigating it makes sense. I know how a car works. I know how yeah. to get from yeah, one yeah, place yeah. to another. The rules make sense. Yeah. It's just that in between that gas station and that giant crystal meteor, there's, like, massive brontosauruses yeah. and dogs that are made of, like, I don't know, fire and scales and you're like that's great it's so much fun to be there nice Um, I'm really excited and I'm really excited that we get to well that's it show it off hopefully we'll see some of the people who listen to this podcast uh, Mm. on Tuesday but if not we will be live streaming it and we've got some really good uh, exclusive footage coming up I've uh, had a little sneak preview of it and even as someone who doesn't really know that much about Final Fantasy I thought that looked pretty awesome I'm going to have a chat so, with old Hajime Tabata as well you are yes it's going to be great mm, me nice. and Hajime Tabata-san so that is at 8 o'clock uh, GMT um, next Tuesday you should tune in uh, if you're not coming what time is that in the US midday uh, PT midday PT west coast uh, I think that's it for uh, talking about. Should we go to feedback? Yeah. Can I quickly jump in with something that I suddenly thought that I probably should have put on the running order? Mm. But so last week I was away for a week because yes. I went on a trip to Malaysia to judge something called the International Mobile Gaming Awards. And I kind of thought while I was out there, I was like, oh, I'd really like to talk about some of this really briefly on the podcast because it was a really interesting insight into a games industry and culture that I'd never seen before. Mm. Like, Sorry, we're out of time, though, so you can't. We're out of time, so like... <laughs> Thanks, sir. That's it for this week's podcast. <laughs> Why did I bring you back those cookies? You deserve nothing. <laughs> but it's interesting because there's 460 million people in Southeast Asia, right? And half... Have you been researching your I actually know, genuinely. I had a really interesting chat. Just, just off nuts. With, well, going, going off of Final Fantasy, I had a chat with one of the guys who he works on one of the fringe studios. So not Square Enix, but the studios that Square Enix hires to do oh, okay. some of the legwork. So yeah. he was working on Final Fantasy. And he was saying about why he was American and why he came to Southeast Asia and why he's working there. And he was saying, out of a population of 460 million, half are under the age of 30. And making a game here is four to six times cheaper. So you've got this kind of... Well, where it's really easy to like spin out a game compared to here in the West. Yeah. And there's a massive audience for it. And the games that we were seeing were really interesting because we were in Malaysia, which is this cultural melting pot in that it's been occupied so many times. It speaks like four different languages as its main language. Yeah. And it was so varied. We were judging these mobile games and you'd go from one minute being a kind of Total War esque thing on on iPad, this big sprawling epic strategy battler, to running a tofu stand on your iPhone hmm. to this thing, this game that was amazing called Sarah is Missing, where you pick up an iPhone, well you're, you pick up your phone and it the screen looks like it's an iPhone, and right. the idea is that you found this phone, your phone on the floor, yeah. and you have this conversation with someone who's like, oh my gosh, you found Sarah's phone. That oh, sounds and like the Mr. Can, Robot game. Which is exactly, it's similar to the Mr. Robot game, but way more fully fledged. Mm. So on the Mr. Robot game, when you were talking to this person, you could only choose from like pre-designated words. Whereas this, you physically type out like, hi, you know, I'm blah, blah, blah. Oh, whose phone is this? And it it responds to you. So it genuinely feels like you're talking to someone. And then you have to, everything's locked. And so they're like, oh, you're going to have to go through her emails and try and find the passwords to her images thing. And so you start, you know, just like really creative games that were genuinely fascinating. 
Right. It's really weird when you hear about that side of the industry that just doesn't care about coming over to us. Like, it doesn't need to. Like, how Remedy, the people who make Max Payne and Quantum Break, they're just making a Chinese game now. They're just making, like, a single player for a Chinese game just because that's worth way more money to them. There you go. And we're never going to play that. No. Really cool. That's crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah. Like, that's fantastic. Like, it's, it's fun to find out that there's this whole, like, set of stuff that yeah. you could be playing if only you could speak Korean. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, a lot of these games, you know, all the games that we were playing were localised. They were they were in English bar a couple. Mm, yeah. um, so, you know, they're very much available. There's the potential. And, yeah, and I do wonder, I do wonder if in 10 years' time or however long Moore's Law allows that we'll, we'll find that the Southeast Asian games industry is going to grow into this mass and suddenly we are going to start paying more attention to it because mm, in terms mm. of the developers that I spoke to and the passion and the buzz and the talent like it was all there yeah definitely going to be keeping a closer eye on it yeah I think especially mm. with like obviously uh, digital being um, more readily available well now and even when we go into the future so mm. you don't need distributors you can get audiences straight away I guess the difference is like if you're on iPhone how do you get your game to stand out? How would I find out about that mm. game that you just, just described? Yeah. When Discoverability Apple controls insane. everything. Oh, yeah. And when there's that many, like when it is four to six times cheaper to make yeah. a game out there and you've got that many games yeah, being yeah, created, sure. yeah. good grief. It's like, so hard to stand out. Even just curating, like, there's, a, there's a reason IGN doesn't do that much mobile coverage is because mm. it's so hard to know what What's you should about, be yeah. covering because there's too much. We'll talk about Mario when that comes out on iOS. I guarantee that's, that's that. being oh, talked about. Yes. And every so often you get like, you know, rains that came out this year of people have been talking about, which is yeah. something we talked about after Rezd. Um and there's all these little bits and pieces that occasionally sort of float to the top, but judging it who knew like Flappy Bird what the oh, how no. the fuck did that yeah. happen yeah. Yeah. Like, that's, there's a million of those things it's yeah. really strange yeah. Yeah. it's I feel like people just make a deal at crossroads with someone with mm. an Apple logo on their chest and go well, hey top of the top grossing Tim Cook standing <laughs> with a fiddle yeah <laughs> right. feedback yes you've got the cool. first piece so this is from Steve Aldridge. He says, hi, everyone. Firstly, I just want to say thank you. I've listened to the IGN UK podcast for a couple of years now, and it quickly became my favorite podcast. Goddamn right. Yeah, it did. Anyway, the reason I ask, oh, the reason I write is to ask about games. My family and I often have games nights where we play board games, old and new, cards and the like. So I wondered if anyone has anything like this with their family and friends. We're always on the lookout for new and interesting games to play. So I wondered if you had any suggestions. This segues nicely into talking about games that you play at Christmas with your family who never play games. Do you do this? I do this. Video games yeah. or board games? Video games. Um, but no. they, they fit the remit. Right. right. The two things that go down a storm every year with my family. Yeah. This is brilliant. Uh, the Wii U version of Wii Sports Golf. Right. Ah. My dad and uncle every, every year for the last like what three years since it's been out. Yeah, because it's the one where you put the pad on the floor yeah. and you see the ball. So you yeah. can act. It's like it's the best sports simulation that's ever been made. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. Like there's nothing else like it. Yeah, they just play out like full eighteen hole rounds right. in the middle of our living room whilst everyone else gets drunk. It's great. Um, the other thing is, have you ever played the Jackbox Party Pack? Never heard of it. It's amazing. Like, hands down, one of the best party games you can get on PS4. I think it's on Xbox One as well. It's a set of games that sort of steal from famous board games. So there's, like, a trivia game. Um, You don't know Jack, which has kind of got big on iPhone a few years back. Right. Um, 
and then there's one that's like Pictionary and there's one that's like Boulder Dash. And essentially, uh, it just comes up on your screen. You connect to the internet and then everyone's smartphone is a controller. Okay. It's that's cool. So, and everyone, my grandma knows how to use a smartphone. Yeah. So the whole family is playing like a trivia game. Yeah. But that's automated so there's none of the hassle of like yeah, yeah. getting shit out yeah. and doing it it's brilliant like that's what i play with my family that's cool. like oh, that's it's awesome. really really clever i think there's three of them now the party packs mm-hmm. nice. well worth it yeah there's loads of those on mobile like space teams another awesome oh game. my god I space really team's like brilliant space but that's not really like family though is it i've no. played it with my family at christmas but your family's cool my family yeah <laughs> it just gets really heated. It's not really easy for me because I've got a six-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old. Mm. So. Yeah, yeah, space seems probably not for them. No. What's it? Jingle the flux capacitors. What do you say, Daddy? Um, Scrabble is always my favourite. Straight up. Scrabble's yeah. great. Scrabble's amazing. Can't beat again. it. Mm. Um, but I'm, I, I'm a stickler for rules. And, of course uh, you are. <laughs> absolutely. Like my wife's family don't tend to adhere to the rules oh I'd lose my mind so I and normally when we start playing I've had a few beers so yeah I normally get screaming at him standing on a chair (laughs) (laughs) classic Christmas and and the thing is um, my wife says that I'm being overly competitive I'm not I just want to play by the rules you want to be competitive in general well I know that I will win if people stick to the rules very good point (laughs) very good point Um, another great game that I've been playing recently have you played Snake Oil no. Snake Oil's brilliant. Is this, again, is this a game or a board game? A uh, board game. Board game. So uh, it's got the same idea as Cards Against Humanity, except it's not perverse and slightly crap and slightly relies on people having purposes. an actual good sense of humour. Have you ever played Cards Against Humanity with terrible people? Oh, absolutely. It's ruined it's the just, game. It's just silly. Yeah. yeah, when people are just like, arse. <laughs> um, I hate that stuff. Snake Oil is a game where the person who gets to choose at the end of the round so they, they've got to choose the best thing presented to them mm. uh, they are a profession so you pick up a card and you get to choose from one of each profession there's a profession on each side so it's like hunter or ballerina everyone else has a handful of cards that are just one word nouns or adjectives and you choose two of them and that's the product you have to sell to the profession Right. Ah. it's brilliant because it it's kind of closed enough that everyone no one has to like really improvise you can just go oh here's a great product there you go or you can turn it into like a big pitch yeah, yeah. that you sit there and make up a comedy sketch about or something yeah but it's open enough that you can just get mad shit happening it's right. brilliant it's such a great idea for that kind of parlor game thing That's where everyone cool. sits yeah. around and has an idea yeah. so I would highly recommend I, lo- I love my favourite board games to play are the ones where there's not a board yes. where yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just That's very much. yeah you know absolutely the parlor games where uh, oh what's that one where you're the duke or the assassin oh the- um like as yeah. in like werewolf or no a werewolf is brilliant I love that apparently they're making a VR version of that as well they are it's which will be Ubisoft really interesting. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but no oh what's it called it's like I can see the box it's silver and shiny and you you're either the duke or like the contessa oh or the it's in the resistance universe yes! but I can't remember what it's called good it's like resistance coup so, coup coup well done Coup's well done good. that was like a thing of keyword countdown yeah. just the level of gotta get there first um, but coup's amazing because it's all about reading different people so you'll you'll be given two cards and you might have the captain and the duke yeah and there's like a load of coins and when it's your turn you can take coins but depending on what cards you have you have powers so if you're uh if you're the captain you can steal three coins off someone else from yeah. there if you're the duke you can take three from the pile rather than two and like 
But you don't have to stick to the cards that you've got in your hand. Right. So you can say, oh, I'm the Duke, so I'm going to take three coins instead of two. But actually, like, you don't have a Duke. So if someone calls you out on it, then you lose your card. So it's this thing of bluffing, which is, I love that around Christmas where you're like staring deep into your family's soul. <laughs> Do I trust you? Mm. I don't think your family is that cool now. Let <laughs> um, <laughs> me go play Space Team. Yeah. Get furious. Well, that's it. Coo, like, Coup's really interesting because it's just, it's, isn't it just like seven cards and they all have a very set small rule yeah. and then the game plays out in so many different ways yeah. just based on those tiny things it's dishonoured again yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. board game form it's all great so yeah I think we've got like a few board games in there haven't we yeah. that yeah. Steve can <laughs> dig into yeah absolutely uh, I've got an email from James Wilson aka the neon idiot I don't know why he calls himself the neon that. idiot is the guy He took. he's the guy that took his uh, first date to watch the neon demon which is a fairly intense oh, okay. Nicholas Winding Refn film right and okay. needless to say Fine. they did not see each other again ah anyway so he he's recently saw a film called uh, Circle on Netflix about a group of, group of people who wake up not knowing where they are and are forced uh, every two minutes to vote on who dies next. Oh, Dale was talking about this. He re- Dale really liked this movie. You've you've re- <laughs> ruined the point of this email then. <laughs> I was wondering if there are any films or TV shows that you really like that no one else even knows about. <laughs> Except apart from Dale. Dale. Apart from Dale. <laughs> uh, no. Pontypool. Right. Have you seen Pontypool? No. no. There we go, Welsh? I win. Has it's Dale not. It's Canadian. What? Dale, Maybe Dale has. Yeah. Um, well, it's a horror film set in, almost entirely in a radio studio as what seems to be a zombie apocalypse takes place outside. Ah. Um, it was released, weirdly, as an audiobook and a movie at the same time, which is really right. strange. Um, it's just really haunting and strange, and it, the kind of twist for why this infection is spreading is really, really odd. Um, and quite there's like definitely a metaphor to it that I really don't understand (laughs) Um, but But it's it's fantastic it's really clever I think um, there's a bit of shaky acting like it's very much an indie flick but the idea is strong enough and the kind of execution is haunting enough that it's really cool that's a really fascinating idea because that's telling the story we've seen so many zombie apocalypse movies where it's always the person on the radio Mm. who says and they're just the disembodied voice to actually tell the story of that disembodied Mm. voice that's kind of a cool yeah it's really good it's well worth watching there's a film that I really love called Wild Tales that I'm not sure whether loads of people have I think I feel like I talked to you about this yeah. when it came out, and I can't remember whether you'd seen it or not. But a lot of people haven't heard of it, mm. and it's based. It's an Argentinian film that came. Yes, out. Yes, I have. Sorry, have when you, you were explaining it? it earlier, I couldn't remember what you were saying because you said animal, so I was thinking of that. I have seen Wild Tales. It is. Good. It's so good. It's so good. Unfortunately, You're, disqualified because I've heard of it. Disqualified because you've. I was about <laughs> to say you've read this. <laughs> But it's amazing. It's really good. It's it's like a uh, disqualified. Oh, I just wanted to explain about the, the film that I really like. These are the rules. <laughs> the neon idiot wrote the rules. You and your stickler for rules. Fine, go watch it. Thanks, James. It's good. It's got the the wedding bit is the best. The wedding bit is the best. It's, it's, it's four short, short stories. Oh, six, sorry, it's yeah. six short stories. Uh, all. Wait, I want to talk about it too. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna leave the rule book. I am. The rule book. <laughs> I'm gonna turn this table over in a minute. Oh damn it! I'll turn this podcast around. It's six short stories, all in Spanish, right. all dealing with a human vice. You've got ten seconds to talk about it. Ah, uh, and it's a black comedy. It's really, really dark. It deals Five, with really dark four, human issues, but in three, a really funny way, two, and it completely one. defies expectations. I will unplug your microphone if you continue talking about it's it. It's on Amazon Prime. You can watch Shut it. Shut up. <laughs> any more? Any more feedback? 
And uh, we've read out we, James Isles. Yeah. Oh, it was already done. We could have spoken about that for a bit longer then. We could have done. I think that's it. Thanks a lot, neon idiot. Ruining it with your rules. Well, it's his question. He can do whatever the heck he wants. And unfortunately, you're here to enforce it. Exactly. <laughs> I'll be back same time next week just to get this show back on the road, for Christ's sakes. Anyway, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, we will be back same time next week. Until then, goodbye. Everyone remember to love by everyone else. It's lovely. Bye. <laughs> Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.